the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ten more months to go. It's a little less than that until Election Day 2024, and the question has to be, what do CNN and MSNBC do now? Uh, Trump blew everybody away in the Iowa caucuses last night, to nobody's surprise. And MSNBC covered the election returns, you know, as you would expect a serious national news outlet to do. Last night, Rachel Maddow, who might still be pushing the Russia collusion hoax and the infallibility of the COVID vaccine, said this. At this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is, of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, and honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision, but there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about any news that he makes. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. So you're telling your audience with 10 months left in the campaign that you're only going to play sound bites from one of the candidates if you approve of them and you think he's telling your version of the truth. CNN was just as bad. When we come back, we're going to talk to our media expert about all this, Jeffrey McCall. And in our second half hour, the district attorney of Fulton Fulton County, Georgia, has some explaining to do. It appears she uh, spent $650,000 or so on an attorney who was her special prosecutor in her case against Donald Trump. And then they spent some of the money to maybe take some really nice vacations together, even though the special prosecutor is married. She might be in bigger trouble than Trump. Stick around. Well, some of your um, media favorites beclowned themselves again last night in their coverage of the Iowa caucuses. Uh, we played a soundbite from Rachel Maddow during the Open. We'll, we'll play it again for you uh, coming up. Uh, Jeffrey McCall is a professional communication professor, I should say, of communications at DePaul University and media critic for The Hill, and he joins us now. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for coming on again. You're welcome. How are you, John? Good, good. So is there a better example of media malfeasance um, than a network that claims to be covering an election, refusing to show the winner's remarks and then bragging about it? I, I'm having a tough time coming up with something worse than that. That really is astounding. And it shows that we have, in many ways now, an establishment media that's not interested in presenting information for audiences to sort out themselves, but is instead wanting to make propaganda of their own 
and only cherry pick that information that they can kind of form into a narrative. Uh, and I think that's very deceitful. And one of the weirdest things uh, about the, the news outlets that chose not to show Trump's remarks was that they, they preface the decision by saying, well, we're not going to show these remarks because we don't like to put untrue things on the air. I'm thinking, well, wait a second. You don't even know what he's going to say yet. I mean, they, they, they've made a decision in advance that what Trump is going to say is untrue before they even really know what words will come out of his mouth. Now, uh, they're welcome to, to play his remarks or not, but I think if they're going to do that, if they're not going to play his remarks, they need to have a better rationale for us than to say, we're not going to put anything on that's untrue, particularly when it's priceless coming from places like CNN and MSNBC that for years have broadcast all kinds of things that we know were not true, uh, but they did it with a straight face anyway. And so I'm thinking, hey, if you guys are against reporting things that are not true, uh, you'd better go back and look at how you reported the Russian collusion story, how you reported COVID, uh, how you reported the withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, how you reported any number of other things. And it's kind of like, come on, you guys, give us the information that is out there. We'll sort it out as audience members. And if you broadcast Trump's remarks and you think there are things that need to be challenged, please do it but with context after the fact, rather than to deprive audience of knowing what he said in the first place. I mean, and there's no question, of course, if Nikki Haley had won the caucuses yesterday, they would have broadcast her remarks oh, yeah. uh, to great fanfare. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. Um, first of all, she's saying that we're not going to play these for you. They were going on live. So she's telling you in advance that what this guy is about to say isn't true. She hasn't even heard what he said yet. Yeah, that's really quite galling and in a certain level insulting. And I must say, though, that for the audience that MSNBC has, they're probably okay with that. I hate oh, to yeah. put it like that, mm-hmm. but that tells us something, too, about the kinds of people who are watching those channels these days. And, you know, and I don't, I don't want to be too hypercritical of those folks, but I would say to them, They've got to open up their eyes a little bit, too, and they've got to be doing more lateral news consumption than to rely only on MSNBC, because I'm sure they're, you know, set in their ways kind of ideologically uh, and journalistically. But I still think we need people in, the, in, 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 in a Western democracy. You need people who have a broad enough perspective to make decisions based on information and if they're going to have, if they're going to watch MSNBC, they've got to know in advance they're only going to get one side of particular issues, and it's probably even a narrow, an extreme side of particular issues. And you know, it, it's, this is uh, this is interesting, I think, for people to ponder right now. And this is one thing I think that the news industry is doing a very poor job of right now. Whatever MSNBC thinks Rachel Maddow or Jake Tapper at CNN. We know they don't like Trump. They know they think he's a liar. They know they think he's a dictator and a criminal and everything else like that. But they are not at all interested in why over half of all Iowan Republicans supported him in the caucuses last night. And they're not at all interested in why Trump is still the runaway leader 
uh, in other primary states around the country. And they're not all interested in why even in national polling, uh, looking ahead to the general election, why Trump seems to be at, at least even and in fact leading in some polls against Biden. They're not interested at all in looking beneath the hood and thinking, what is happening in this country? Why is it that Trump, for all of his legal problems and all of his bombast and whatever, why is it that half of Americans seemingly are still supporting him for a second term as president? And I think that's the story. Like, what is it in the United States happening now that would make a guy like Trump still have that level of support? And, but, but they're not interested in that, which means to me that as journalists, they are not curious. And as journalists, they are not going where the story is. The story is in their mind that Trump is a criminal and Trump is a fascist, and they're stuck there. And I'm thinking any time a journalist has so little broad-mindedness that they get stuck in particular ideological opinions, they're not really journalists anymore. Uh, and they're also not very professional or effective anymore either. Well, I was going to play the uh, the Maddow cut again, but wait one second, Mike, uh, in the control room there, uh, because as long as you brought it up, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, you mentioned they, they don't know why this is happening. They don't ask. Uh, here's, a, here's a cut from someone named Lawrence O'Donnell. Everybody, I think, knows who he is. Uh, same network, MSNBC. Uh, here's his explanation for why all those people voted for Trump. Shows that 81 percent of Republican primary voters and caucus participants, 81 percent of those people agree with Donald Trump that immigrants are poisoning the blood of this country. That means that 81 percent of the Republican primary electorate believe Nikki Haley has poisoned blood and is poisoning the blood of the United States. So that as a roadblock for Nikki Haley is impossible, but it also shows you what you're up against in any kind of campaign against voters like that, the the convertibility of voters like that to anything other than the Trump view of the world is impossible. There's no campaign ad. There's no speech you can make. There's no, you know, Republican who Chris Christie might be able to convince some of them. Not them. Not any of the 81 percent. Not one of them can be converted. I think who he's referring to there, uh, Jeff, is uh, the the voters who he's, he's referring to there are white Christians, 81 percent. That's who he's talking about. And, and for him to make the statement he just made, that there's no ad that can fight against their their um, racist um, and um, anti-immigrant uh, feelings, nothing's going to work. That's, 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 well, so Lawrence O'Donnell has it all figured out. According to his view, I suppose he does. I must say that rambling remark was very hard to follow and made no sense on, on, on many levels. But, you know, getting back to the, the demographics of Iowa, you know, Joy Reid, who's another MSNBC mm-hmm. commentator or anchor, whatever we're going to call her, uh, was complaining that the number of white Christians in uh, the state of Iowa is somehow not representative of the nation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she... I was thinking, wait a second here. The people in Iowa can't help it where they live. Right. <laughs> and they can't help if they're white either, I don't think. No, but that's saying that New York City is not representative of Iowa either. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, um, 
I saw Joy Reid's comment, and that it's as I said in the opening of my show. There's there's ten months of this left. Um, have have they have these people at CNN and MSNBC have they backed themselves into a corner now, where they they've basically stated that for the next ten months you're not going to get anything out of Trump that they disagree with. Well, the sad thing is they're stereotyping people so badly. And I, you know, I think it's very dangerous when you have a news organization that wants to stereotype all Trump supporters as racist or religious zealots or whatever they're going to do. And one thing that we've not seen a lot of reporting on from them is that, if anything, the Trump base might be expanding. That Trump is, uh, from what we can tell from polling, expanding his base amongst Hispanics and even amongst African-Americans. And it's one thing for Joy Reid to say, well, these white Christians don't know what they're doing because they're supporting this goofball named Trump. But how is she addressing now Hispanics that might be in support of Trump? How is she addressing African-Americans who might be interested in supporting Trump? She can't label them as racist. She can't label them necessarily as Christians. And so I'm kind of wondering, where does she go with this line of argument? Because... You know, it's, it's going to be a, a hectic 12 months until we get the election over with. And who knows after that what aftermath there might be. But yeah. they really are painting themselves into a corner by trying to play demographic politics and labeling and stereotyping rather than to try to get out into the field and try to talk to people for why they feel the way they do and let the, let the story go where the facts lead. And I think that's a, a breakdown in journalism generally is that we don't look for where the facts are anymore. We come up with preconceived, preconcocted notions and then try to cherry pick and force feed that down people who sadly, in the loyal visitor, the lower loyal viewers of MSNBC seemingly are willing to do. Would it be any different if Fox told their viewers that, well, we're not going to show you any more of Joe Biden's speeches? Well, we'll show you some of them, but. If we catch him saying things that we think are untrue, we're not going to let you see those or hear those. Well, you know, imagine Fox the outrage. Yeah, there'd be a lot of outrage. And of course, it all comes from the establishment media. Uh, and I must say, you know, Fox does have some commentators who go pretty far, you know, in terms of labeling and stereotyping their political opponents as well. But I must say, uh, I don't think you see that coming from their more. Uh, traditional anchor people like Brett Baer or Martha McCallum or John Roberts or people like that. And that's the saddest thing is I think that the leading spokespeople at MSNBC are the ones running their election coverage. And I just think that that's a real mistake on their part because it really shows that they're not interested in journalism, but just commentary. And CNN cut away uh, from his victory speech last night from Trump's speech as soon as he started talking about immigration, because uh, Jake Tapper said that it was all racist and um, just bad anti-immigrant rhetoric. So they did the same well, and thing. I just, and I wonder how it is that they expect people to, to discuss immigration. I mean, it, it, you've got the, the open borders approach by Joe Biden, uh, which, you know, is, is one way to look at it. Like, hey, we're not going to have any borders, immigration's open across the board, whatever. 
And are they then going to label anybody who has an opposing view as somehow a xenophobe or anti-immigration uh, or hate monger or whatever? And I guess my sense here is uh, you can't label uh, your pro-immigration or, you know, anti-immigration and then put people in either Trump's camp or Biden's camp because there are a lot of people with a lot of different opinions on how it should work. And it's not easy. This is not a simple issue. And CNN seems to suggest that the news coverage of immigration can be done simply. You're either for it against it and that there are no intermediate kinds of views to have that need to be finessed and discussed in context. And I just think that that's a, it's a terrible mistake. And I also think that, you know, that, that again, getting back to why do Trump supporters back him on the topic of immigration? And I don't think it has anything to do with poisoning blood or anything like that. It has to do with economics. It has to do with national security. It has to do with, you know, the people in your neighborhood. And I think Americans generally are quite open-minded and quite welcoming. We're, we're a nation of immigrants, as everyone knows. And I don't think people are opposed to having new Americans come into our nation. The issue is whether or not it can be done lawfully and in a measured fashion. And, you know, Victor Davis Hanson, the columnist, talks about nullification and that basically the Biden administration has nullified immigration laws. And I think that's an issue to be dealt with. And that doesn't mean that you're against immigration, but maybe that you want immigration to be done according to established laws and practices uh, rather than just to open the border to anybody who comes across. We're talking to Jeff McCall, a professor of communications at DePaul University. You can find him also at thehill.com, his columns. Um, i got about a minute and a half left here, Jeff. I saw someone suggest that Trump make Vivek Ramaswamy his press secretary. That sounded like a good idea to me for some reason. What do you think? <laughs> well, he's articulate. I'll say that for him. I'd like to and see I him battle say, some of those people. Well, I must say he's very sharp. He's very good on his feet. Uh, he has uh, data and facts to support his arguments, whatever they are. And whatever topic, he can always bring up rational arguments to support his point of view. I think he'd be very good at it. Um, and when you get right down to it, even though he's dropped out of the race, if, if several months ago somebody said he would have the fourth number of votes in the caucus last night, people would have probably been shocked. And the fact that he even got 7% of support in Iowa is shocking in itself. But he's a sharp guy. Uh, I think he's got a lot on the ball. Uh, he had a lot of uh, headwinds to try to make progress against not only Trump, but DeSantis and Haley. Uh, but I think he's a voice and a younger voice that probably is worth uh, keeping a mind, an eye on. And I would think if a Republican were to win uh, the presidential election next fall, whether that's Trump or anybody else, I think they'd be wise to try to get Vivek somehow into their structure and let's see what his views and his uh, his messaging can do to help them. Yeah, and the, the entertainment value of him up against the media would be, um, I might just be worth it just for that, but um, we'll see what happens with that. And uh, I hope I hope at least they consider it. And uh, Jeff, always glad to have you on the show. Hope the cough clears up. I've had one for two weeks. It's almost gone. So if you have the same thing I have, hang in there. 
Yeah, thanks a lot. It is that time of year, and I've got plenty of cough drops. So thank you for your good wishes. All right, and that's Jeff McCall. We'll be right back. Well, uh, while Donald Trump is celebrating his big win in Iowa last night, he may be about to get a big win in Georgia. The Fulton County District Attorney there, Fannie Willis, apparently has some explaining to do, and it could mean she's taken off the case, and it could mean she's going to jail. Hans von Spakovsky is a senior legal fellow with the Heritage Foundation. We thought he'd be a good guy to come on and try to explain all this. He joins us now. Hans, thanks for coming on. Sure. Thanks for having me. And where would you like to begin? (laughs) Well, uh, you know, we all know that Fannie Willis, the local DA, is a very partisan prosecutor. We knew that from the time she filed this RICO charge against Donald Trump and others. But what blew the lid on her case last week was a motion filed by uh, one of the one of the defendants, Mike Roman, um, in which uh, his lawyer says that and she said, look, I only filed this after lots of in-depth research. Uh, In essence, she says that Fannie Willis hired her lover to be a special prosecutor. Uh, He is a private lawyer, has no experience whatsoever in prosecuting felony cases and certainly not felony uh, RICO cases. Um, And in essence was having an adulterous affair with this married prosecutor. Um, He says that uh, not only did she pay him upwards of a million dollars in attorney's fees that she didn't have permission to do from the county commission. She not only didn't have permission to hire a special prosecutor, she had no authority to even pay him, and that he then paid for luxury trips for the two of them with the money he had earned going to places like Napa Valley, the Caribbean, on cruise lines. So She's got serious ethical problems. She may have violated um, state laws, and she may have violated federal law, a law called the Honest uh, Honest Services Fraud Statute, which is when a vendor that you are paying gives you a kickback. So she's in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Now, this guy, Wade, uh, who she hired. Right. Um, and you say he's he's not qualified to be a prosecutor. He's never done it to prosecute a federal case, federal felony. Um, does this even come to light if they hadn't been fooling around and this guy Wade had been married and his wife were decided to divorce him and charge him with adultery? Would would it even would we even be talking about this? No, probably not. In fact, um, what's interesting is that the lawyer who filed this went and reviewed the divorce proceedings that are going on right now in a different county. And apparently, after after she had reviewed the records, um, Wade requested that the record be sealed. <laughs> and the judge sealed the record, although he did it without holding the requ- required hearing. By the way, the very same day, Monday a week ago, when this motion was filed, a process server showed up at Fannie Willis's uh, office in downtown Atlanta and served her with a subpoena to testify in the divorce case. 
So she's going to have to, under oath, testify uh, to what she was doing with the, well, the what what happened with the million dollars? I, I think that I saw a number six hundred fifty thousand that they've come up with the official number, I guess, but six hundred fifty thousand dollars in legal fees that she paid to this Wade guy, and um, she's going to have to explain how they financed some of their trips together. Oh, oh, yeah, and she's going to have to explain. Look, in essence, what the motion says is. Because she didn't have the approval of the county commission, which is required by law to hire a special prosecutor, and certainly did not have the approval to pay him, that that calls into question the legitimacy of the entire investigation and grand jury indictment of Mike Roman and and obviously with the other defendants. And therefore, I mean, they're saying the case ought to be dismissed, uh, but at a minimum, Fannie Willis and everyone else who works in her office has to be recused from the case. If that happens, the case would be referred to another county's prosecutor, and that prosecutor would then have to decide whether to keep going with the case. So it it gets taken out of Fulton County and goes to another county to a prosecutor who may not even have any real knowledge of other than what you and I have of it, uh, you know what we see in the in the media uh, would have to dive in and 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 believe that it's a it's a, a good case, which by the way you've said from the beginning is a was a really bad case to start with. It is, and and one other thing that came up apparently uh, the billing records, which the lawyer who filed this motion reviewed, because the billing records are apparently. Uh, a matter of public record with the county government, the billing records showed that uh, this lawyer, this special prosecutor, met several times with the Biden White House, including the Biden uh, Biden's White House counsel. And, you know, you have to sit there and think, what, what in the world uh, would he be talking to the Biden White House about? They have absolutely no say so whatsoever about this case. So why would he be consulting with the Biden White House? That raises a serious question of whether the Biden White House was involved in trying to get these charges filed against Joe Biden's potential um, opposition in the 2024 presidential election. And didn't he meet with, uh, didn't he show up, I should say, at the Biden White House before the case was brought? Yes, exactly right. And so that, like I said, that raises also very serious issues. The, The judge in this case, the judge who's presiding over the prosecution, he's got no choice but to hold a hearing on this motion and and ask a lot of questions of Fannie Willis and make some decisions. Frankly, if these allegations are true, um, not only should she be recused from the case along with the other lawyers in her office, but the Georgia Bar Association needs to investigate her for possible violations of the professional code of conduct of lawyers and the state attorney general needs to investigate her for possible violation of, of state law, too. The kickbacks, right? Y- yes, the kickback. And by the way, that kickback potentially is a violation also of federal law, 
So the U.S. attorney in Atlanta would have jurisdiction, although, look, John, you and I both know that there's no way that the Merrick Garland uh, Justice Department is going to investigate Fannie Willis, even though they should. Well, what would it take to, to, to force them to do it, other than Donald Trump becoming president? Uh, there's no way to force them. Uh, there's no way to force them to do it other than potential public embarrassment over their refusal to do anything about it. Well, this guy, Wade, he shows up at the White House before the case uh, is, is made public and before it's brought, I guess, uh, forward. What possible explanation could this attorney, who's not a prosecutor, what, if you could put yourself in the judge's <laughs> position and you're asking this guy, excuse me, but why did you go to the, what, what possible explanation could he come up with for why I, I he went know. there? I, I don't know. I can't come up with any rational, um, nonpartisan and objective reason for him to meet with the with the Biden White House. Well, on what grounds could a judge that you just mentioned, the judge is going to have to make a decision on this. What grounds could a judge, based on just the evidence that we know of now, we haven't even you know seen the details of it. What grounds could a judge? even come up with to deny the motion? How could it not be investigated? Again, I, 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 I can't come up with any. I don't think that if, if all of this proves to be true, and that's what the judge has to investigate, uh, I don't think he'd have any choice other than to, uh, at the very least, recuse her at her office from continuing with this prosecution. I, I think a failure to do so would raise a lot of questions about this judge and his failure to enforce um, the rules uh, governing lawyers, and in particular prosecutors in, in Georgia. We're talking to uh, Hans von Spakovsky, a senior legal fellow with the Heritage Foundation and a former member of the Federal Election Commission. Um, uh, Hans also... Speaking of Georgia, and this is something that you're an expert on, um, I, haven't I seen a lot of things here in the last, uh, I don't know, week, couple weeks that are raising some serious questions about what went on down there in Georgia and some people being asked some very tough questions in the last few weeks about what happened there on in 2020? Yeah, and in particular... Um there are serious questions being raised about the voting equipment being used in the state. Uh, Georgia, uh, you may know, is one of the few states in the country where they don't use paper ballots except for um, absentee ballots. When you go into a polling place there, you, you can't use a paper ballot. All they have are electronic voting machines. And a, a lawsuit that was filed a number of years ago, actually before, the 2020 election um, is ongoing, and the federal judge in the case uh, has scheduled a, a trial uh, for January to um, look at that equipment. And uh, the judge has said that this is not some crazy conspiracy theory, that the challengers to the voting equipment have some very serious computer security and IT experts who have raised substantial questions about the reliability 
of the voting machines being used in the state and and the judge is letting this go to trial. And we're three years into this now, over three years. Um, And we've talked about this with you before. This uh, is not going away. And I want to ask you again, because I, I, I keep hearing all the time that that uh, Trump voters and Trump supporters should just forget about it. This is all these claims of fraud have been looked at and dismissed. And um, should, it's time to just move on. What do you say to those people? Well, there, the, what I would say to, to folks is, look, uh, Joe Biden's a president. He was certified as the president. But we need to look at, investigate, and review all of the problems and issues that we saw in the 2020 election so that we can fix the system so that we don't have those issues again. And that's one of the things that's going on in Georgia right now, like I said, with a, a trial that is going to look at the reliability of the electronic voting machines being used in the state. Have the Republicans, in your view, uh, done enough to make the uh, election in November legitimate, or at least be accepted as legitimate? Uh, They have done a lot in a lot of different states. I mean, all you have to do is look at the many reforms that have been passed since 2020 in places like Georgia, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, and a number of other red states. Uh, Things have not improved in blue states like California or New York because it's impossible uh, to get good changes made there. But in other places, uh, no, they, they've passed a lot of reforms. I mean, look, John, remember, the reform package that Georgia passed so angered the left and opponents of, of election reform. They remember Joe Biden went down there and gave a big speech claiming that, that uh, for example, requiring an ID was Jim Crow 2.0. That, that's how upset they were at the improvements that the mm-hmm. state had made yeah and they yanked the all-star game out of there and said it was uh, because they right. were depriving people to vote and then didn't they have a record turnout of uh in the next election they had a record turnout and a survey showed that uh black voters said uh, difficulty vote- voting no many of them said it was even easier so uh, you study this stuff a lot you were uh, a member of the federal election commission what would you do to fix all this? To, to, but I know you only have 10 months to do it, but, but what would you propose that's done? Paper ballots? Is it something very simple like that, or is it more complicated? There's a whole series of things that need to be done, everything from um, requiring an ID to vote, whether it's in person or through the absentee balloting process, doing a better job of cleaning up voter registration roles and making sure the people aren't still on the rolls are dead or have moved out of out of state. I mean, there's a whole series of things that states ought to be doing. Some of some states are doing them. Others, like I said, places like California, New York, they're not. Well, we'll see what happens. We have 10 months and um, it's uh, only just begun. We're one day beyond the Iowa caucuses. We'll see how it goes from here. Did you think everything was on the up and up there yesterday, last night? Yeah, it sounded like it, and I was impressed. People actually going out to vote in person when they had like zero zero degree temperatures out there. Well, they managed to do that. Amazing. 
Hey, um, Hans, always good to talk to you. I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. we got 10 months of this look uh, down the road, so it's only beginning. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Hans. Bye-bye. Okay, we'll be right back. Well, how about them Steelers? It's a Steeler Monday. I know it's Tuesday, but we used to call them Steeler Mondays after Monday night games back in uh, back in my day. And um, here we are, and the question going around right now, although there aren't, I don't know how many people on the beat covering the Steelers have the the guts to ask the question, but someone, uh, a, a reporter named Brooke Pryor last night in the post-game press conference with uh, Mike Tomlin tried to ask the question. She got this far. She said, uh, Mike, uh, you're in the last year of your contract, and Mike walked out. He didn't want to hear about it. Now, uh, first of all, there were some criticisms of her asking the question. It's the exact question, the number one question that had to be asked last night after the game. Mike Tomlin's feelings don't matter at that point if you're doing your job. It's a tough question. I'm not guaranteeing that I would have had the guts to ask it last night. I don't know, but somebody needed to, and Brooke Pryor did it. Now the question is, what's the answer to the question? Uh, and what the question was going to be was, what, what do you plan to do, Mike? Are you going to be back next year? Do you expect an extension? Blah, blah, blah. He's got a year left on his contract. Here's the thing. Um, I got two words for you when it comes to whether or not Mike Tomlin deserves to either or should resign or deserves to be fired. Bill Belichick, he's no longer the coach of the New England Patriots. I don't know whose decision it was, if it was if it was actually mutual, as they said, but he's not there anymore. Pete Carroll is no longer the head coach in Seattle. Mike Vrabel is no longer the coach at Tennessee. All three had more success in the last several years than Mike Tomlin as far as winning playoff games and, and advancing in the postseason. So it's not unfair to start asking. I know he's never had a losing season, but and that's that's a remarkable when you get right down to it. That, that's, a, that's an accomplishment. Don't let anybody dis- diminish that. But his record in the playoff is abysmal lately, especially. And this is supposed to be an organization that, goes into a season with the idea that it can win a Super Bowl and that it's not one of those organizations where making the playoffs is enough. That's, that's not supposed to be enough. And it hasn't been – that hasn't that standard has not been met in the last uh, several years. It's been seven years since they won a playoff game, seven years. You'd have to go back to before 1970 to come up with a longer period of time when they hadn't won a playoff game. That's when Chuck Knoll showed up. Chuck Knoll left. It was time for him to go in 1992, and it's time for Mike Tomlin to go now. It would really be nice if someone in local TV sports, you know, would go on the air and do a commentary and take a position on it. Don't hold your breath waiting for that to happen. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.